Welcome to Better Than Nothing. What you are about to hear is just me being able to speak with some amazing people that come from many walks of life. This episode of Better Than Nothing is brought to you by Concept by Iowa Hearing. Your hearing is our priority. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. That's 877-955-4020. Hello, this is Ken Root. Today, I am joined by a friend going back two generations, a man from Indiana by the name of Dan Maudlin, whose father was a farm broadcaster. Dan also took that role for a period of time, and he was a little too intelligent to be a really good farm broadcaster, (laughs) so he moved on into doing other things, and he has other talents, including being able to play and sing and write music. Dan, it's a pleasure to talk to you on this uh, cold winter's day. How are you? I'm doing great, Ken, and it's a real treat to get to talk with you again. I'm not sure. Think about someone going into songwriting. I'm not sure that says much about my intelligence. <laughs> but Well, it shows a lot of determination because yeah. uh, one of the things I remember from our AgriTalk shows was that I had a producer named Rustin Hamilton who had a beautiful voice, loved to play guitar, and he was convinced he could write songs that somebody in Nashville would buy. Yeah. Well, he managed to weasel that into a show one time, and I said, Rustin, I just don't think this is going to work to have a show on writing country music. But he assured me it would. He had a couple of people on who had been successful at it. And, Dan, we got hundreds of calls for weeks of people (laughs) who just couldn't leave it alone. You know, they had to tell us how that they were working toward writing country songs. He was right. Uh, There's a lot of people that want to do that, but it's it's hard to be able to get a hit. I know there's a lot of timing involved in it, and there's a lot of awfully good songs that never hit the big time. And that's part of today because I want you to play a song for us that you've just released that is just beautiful that has an incredible message to it. So tell me about your efforts to write songs. And you've even gone to Nashville and played some, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got, in fact, just a week or so ago, uh, we got to play the new song we'll hear later uh, down at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, which is kind of like the place every songwriter wants to go. And that was a real treat uh, to, to play down there. Uh, my son Kevin and I went down and actually got to hear on the same bill a fellow named Gordon Kennedy, who wrote You Can Change the World for Eric Clapton, and he also is fairly well-known as the lead guitarist of Garth Brooks. So oh, we, my. we've had a chance to, to work around and see great songwriters uh, for quite a while here, and uh, that, that, I hope, has influenced some of my work. Give me a little taste of some of that you've done that have a, a message or a story of of the life of your family. One, I believe, is called Made of Steel. Right. And I can go ahead and play that one for you if you'd like. The 
The first verse of this song, Ken, is is really based on my grandfather's farm out in Pocahontas County, Iowa, and memories I have of, of his dedication to being a farmer and what it meant. Um, and the song is is called Made of Steel. Grandpa came to supper He'd always thank the Lord For the bounty and the blessings And the family in the fort He helped feed the world On a piece of land he'd cleared Growing corn with the help of God And a 48 John Deere it was made of steel. And that's the way the country grew. It spread from coast to coast. And people stood where they believed. Hard work and the Holy Ghost. And they built the bridges and the engines for the planes. And Chevrolets and Chryslers And the rail beneath the trains And it was made of steel So bring back the iron ore And take the padlocks off the doors And let some workers through the gates again Go clean up the smoke and ash And build things that are meant to last They had a much more solid feel When they were made of steel They lived through the hard times but they kept this country free And their spirit lives on to this day In prayers and family trees They led by example And they did things the right way And the world would be a better place If we were more like them today Because they were made of steel So bring back the iron ore And take the padlocks off the doors And let some workers through the gates again We'll clean up the smoke and ash And build things that are meant to last And a much more solid feel When they were made of steel They were made of steel. Dan Maudlin, who is playing a song made of steel. Dan, I love that from various aspects. One is your guitar playing. Another is your great voice and your story that you are telling. 
it all makes me want to think of those pieces of steel from my youth that my father had started farming with in the 1930s and continue to use literally until they were worn away. Yeah. Most of the world's made out of plastic now, isn't it? That's for sure. That is for sure. And I'll have to be honest with you, Ken, one of the reasons I, I got so frustrated to write that song was a refrigerator that my wife had. Uh, Debbie had a refrigerator that the ice maker never worked in and we couldn't get it fixed. And I just, I got so frustrated with it. And I finally said, you know, I wish we were back in the days when things were made in the USA, they were made of steel and they were made to last. Mm-hmm. That's I how agree. I kind of got driven on that song. Well, I had a, I still do have a uh, refrigerator with an ice maker that won't work. So uh, maybe it'll inspire me to do something other than dynamite it in the near future. Hey, Dan, how did uh, you get into the broadcast business? And then what did you do during your, during your major career here in life? Well, I've, I've had kind of a varied career, but I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. Ken, I, I got into farm broadcasting in part because my father, uh, who was known on the air as Harry Martin in Indiana, uh, had started a small radio network in Indiana right at the time I was getting out of school. And uh, he needed somebody to help who would work really cheap. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, but uh, I had the chance to work with him as we put programs together and learn how to edit and and you know, voice things on the air and um, how to interview people. And those skills became very important in what I did in later life. And he was, he was a great teacher. I have great respect for the skills my father had. Uh, he was one of the best I've ever seen to this day at wrapping up the end of a program. He never ran over. And you, you can appreciate that. Well, he had a wonderful voice and, yeah. uh, and he was a wonderful man he was senior in farm broadcasting when I started in 74. And, uh, I believe he's had a few disciples that have, uh, come through with him. Uh, Gary Truitt is one of them. Isn't that uh-huh. right? I think that's, that's probably true. Um, my dad influenced a lot of people, but he was very quiet. He wasn't real outgoing and self-promoting, if I could say that. And I, I think a lot of times he had, had a lot of impact on people that he probably didn't even know that he was having an impact on. Well, I I would have to say that with me. He showed me the way it was supposed to be. I didn't necessarily do it, but he showed me (laughs) how you should do it. Didn't he do some uh, coast-to-coast radio at one time uh, with that golden voice? Yes, he did. He, for I believe seven years, he did live reports from Indianapolis for CBS Radio News. And... um, as a broadcaster, you would appreciate this, Ken. In those days, they didn't have a way to communicate when the anchor desk in New York was going to throw you the story. You didn't know whether you had 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or 90 seconds until they threw it to you. And there was a, there was a cue they used, like, and I can't remember the exact details, but if, if for example, they went to, they said, uh, here's Harry Martin with a report, then say he had 30 seconds or if, for an update, then maybe he had 60 seconds. Or, or for this, uh, for more on the story, then he'd have 90 seconds. And he didn't know until they threw it to him, whether he had 30, 60, or 90, <laughs> get on and off the network. <laughs> you can imagine. Oh, the golden era, the golden era of, of radio was, uh, 
That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but he had to make a choice at, uh, one time, didn't he? He got yeah. an offer to go big time, but he just, uh, couldn't leave the Midwest. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's a story not many people know, uh, Ken, but my older sister, Judy, had just obtained a land race hog to show in 4-H. We lived uh, outside Indianapolis far enough that we had like seven acres of land, and she they had a, a, a section where she was going to raise this land race hog for her 4-H project, and that's when he got the offer to come to CBS in New York. And um, he put his family first and decided he didn't want his kids to move to New York City. He wanted them to be in a rural area where they could raise animals for 4-H. And he, we all owe him a great debt of uh, gratitude for that. All, everybody in our family does. Harry Martin, yeah. We always had the challenge of remembering his real name. There were quite a yeah. few people at that time who uh, had a stage name. Someone right. decided that their real name just wasn't good on the radio. Right, and that's what happened in his case. They told him uh, when he went to work for the station in Indianapolis that they wouldn't, uh, people couldn't understand his name, they said, and so uh, they told him his name was Harry Martin. And for the rest of his life, that was the name he, mm-hmm. he worked under. I'd like to go back to this songwriting. Yeah. What's your method? What's, how do you, do you have to get inspired by something to write a song? It helps. Um, but to be honest, and I don't mean to be evasive here. It's, it's still kind of a mystery to me where some of them come from. A lot of people who, who want to write songs don't realize how much work you really have to put into it to do it well. And I work every day. I set aside time, whether it's, if I can only get a half hour or an hour, I, I still do it to, to try to see if there's an idea floating around out there somewhere that's going to lead to a song. It's, it's that some people are great co-writers and you'll hear, especially in Nashville, you hear a lot of people who they'll do songwritings by, by appointments, you know, they'll, set appointments at 10 o'clock in the morning and two o'clock in the afternoon. And they'll write two songs that day. I'm not good at sitting down working under a clock like that. I'm much better at kind of hammering it out and trying to get the words just the way I need them to be. And if it takes me a few weeks, a few months, even uh, I would rather do that and, and try to come up with the finished product that I'm happy with rather than, to rush it out. But again, I, I don't mean to knock the people who can do it. They, they do very well. And some of them are, are just amazing. Do you work the lyrics independently of the music or do you keep the two together as you go? It, that's a very good question too. Generally speaking, they just kind of happen with me. I'm a guitar player and I'll, I'll be playing different riffs, different guitar patterns. And sometimes a little melody will pop out and a, a, some words that seem to fit will pop out. And so I write that down so I don't forget it, you know, because it's so easy to forget ideas when they come. And and then I'll, I'll go back. Maybe I'll go back the next day and work on it some more. And then the next day and, and it's eventually begins to work into a, uh, like a template for a song. You try not to get too into too much of a formula. Um, because you don't want everything that you write to sound the same. I tend to do that. I, but to me, a lot of it comes down to self-discipline. And now, for example, the, the song we'll, we'll talk about later, um, about Sarah Gets a Second Chance, that was a little unique. I had some people come up to me after a songwriter show 
and asked me if I had ever considered writing a song on an organ donation subject. And I hadn't. And I, my first reaction was, wow, that's, that's tough stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. I didn't promise anything, you know, cause I didn't know if I could do it or not. And, uh, um, that took a lot of effort, but I'm very glad we did it. Well, I think people will see what you've put into that here, or hear what you put into that in a few moments. Uh, I admire people who can take lyrics that really mean something and tell a story with it to be mm-hmm. the ideal song has nice music in it, but it tells a story that it completes from end to end. And uh, although the song is not necessarily the greatest in the way that it goes, but the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, for example, that everybody's heard, you know, it tells you that story from beginning to end. There's an art form there somewhere that I don't have any skill in at all. Well, and it takes a lot of work. If I can digress just for a minute, tell you a little something about Gordon Lightfoot. Um, I had the chance to talk with him backstage one night and, it was really interesting because he was talking about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. And again, this goes to the point I'm making about how much work goes into this and the background of it. He was very careful. If you'll notice the phrasing of the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, he was very careful not to assess any blame to the captain. And he had actually researched enough that he had talked with the wife, the widow of the captain to get more information about what really happened and talking backstage, he said, you know, I, I didn't want to do anything that would reflect badly on, on that family or that, that captain because they paid a heavy enough price already, you know, but that was interesting. That, you know, many people thought that was an old story yeah. until they read about it and found out that was actually a wreck that occurred in the 1960s, I believe on, on Lake Superior. Yeah. And it just twisted that ship. It's amazing. There are some, uh, videos on YouTube of little documentaries about it. It's incredible. The, the power in Lake Superior that, that tore that, that, uh, the witch up. of November comes calling. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any named musician who has gained fame that kind of keeps you on speed dial just in case you come up with a song <laughs> that they might need? I wish I did. <laughs> no, I don't. I can't say that I have anybody that, uh, that wants to get in touch with me about a hit, but I have, I honestly, I can, I do have to say, I feel very blessed. I've had the chance to play with some of the best songwriters in the world, uh, really have. And, um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I hope I've learned something from them. And I, I think I've learned some techniques, but more than anything, it's probably you learn the dedication, uh, that it takes to do it right. So it's, it's amazing where you find talent in this, in our society. I, that's one thing that, that still, I get, I get a kick out of this when we go down to Nashville because honestly, the bartenders and the waiters frequently are better than the people who are playing on stage and the ones on stage are great, you know, <laughs> but, but everybody's got talent, you know, and we, we did a songwriter show here the other night in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and we had a, a a New York Times best-selling author in the crowd, you know, and it's just, mm-hmm. wow, that's pretty cool, you know. But but mm-hmm. sometimes that, another thing I've found is sometimes the most talented people are kind of quiet about it, you know, and they, they don't always tell the whole world what they can do. Well, in my case, that's certainly true. 
Yeah. <laughs> I broadcast every chance I get how great I am, and that pretty much proves I'm not. There's a desire. I mean, you think of a Dolly Parton coming down there as a as a young girl with a yeah. guitar big as she was and just saying, I can do this. I know I can do this. And and getting up and actually doing it and have this incredible career from it, you have to have something that pushes you forward. You can't be too reserved or you'll never get there. You have to be determined for sure. And you have to also accept a lot of rejection because I don't, I don't know anybody who's a songwriter who hasn't had great songs rejected numerous times and yet they hang in there and end up with a success story. But you have to be very determined. No question about that. One thing I did want to mention, Ken, if you don't mind, I have a fond memory of when you were uh, in NAFB, National Association of Farm Broadcasters, and you were one of the officers. And there was a uh, one of our annual conventions in Kansas City. The entertainment was that was scheduled had to cancel for some reason. And you had enough pull that you contacted Lee Greenwood and got Lee Greenwood and his band to come in and play for that banquet that night. Now, I was so impressed then, and I'm still impressed that you had enough clout to do that. Well, you can go ahead and believe that story if you want. That's not exactly how it was, but oh, well. Lee Greenwood did come in there. <laughs> and I think we can say George Logan is the one who got him. But okay. uh, here's the real story of, of that. Barbara Mandrell was going to play at the Kansas State Fair, uh-huh. and they, you know, jet in there in the afternoon, and then they play that night. She had a car wreck and broke her leg. Oh, my. And so Lee Greenwood that day was in either Nashville or somewhere in, the, in that area for Roy Acuff's birthday party, a yeah. very... And Roy Acuff uh, was loved by Ronald Reagan. Uh-huh. And so they were there playing that day, and uh, they got a call. Could you come to the Kansas State Fair tonight and cover for Barbara Mandrell because she can't get there? And so as a result of that, they got in their jet and flew from Nashville to Hutchinson, Kansas, and came on stage that night. Wow. And they were on the six o'clock news with Ronald Reagan on that 80th birthday for Roy Acuff. And then they came on stage that night. And I recall being the one who got to introduce them at the Kansas State Fair, as well as the NAFE meeting when they came there uh, yeah. a year later. And I said, Ronald Reagan's favorite country star, Lee Greenwood, and he had just released God Bless the USA. Yeah. And they had the flag unfurling at the end. I remember at the end of the show, it, that was mm-hmm. a great show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they, they did a nice shot. Right. Now he's one of those guys that seemed like he was not nearly as outgoing personally as many mm-hmm. other country stars. He was a great musician. Yeah. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. sure knew how to write songs. I mean, he's, he was very good with the lyrics too, obviously. So I still <laughs> think you're, I think you're under. Estimating your contribution to getting that, as I recall the story. <laughs> Dan, I'd like for you to um, almost finish us up with yeah. Sarah Gets a Second Chance. 
and uh, we will uh, lay this song in in its best form, but I'd okay. love for you to play it for us right now okay. uh, because it's a message that all of us think about from time to time, but you put a perspective to it and a seriousness to it that, that may, who knows, make a difference somewhere. Well, we hope so. It might, might affect a few people's lives, Ken. That's what we're hoping to do with it. And uh, thank you so much. This is called Sarah Gets a Second Chance. Sarah dresses like a princess Almost every Halloween but this year the gown that she'll be wearing is hospital green. Her mother prays they'll find a donor that feels like an awkward thing to say. Sarah's lungs get a little weaker. With every passing day But maybe the time for tears is over And maybe a miracle's at hand And maybe if we pray Today might be the day Sarah gets a second chance Sarah gets a second chance Her little brother reads her stories He likes to call her on the phone He thinks they'll read those books together When Sarah comes back home Father worries about insurance And all the days at school she's missed That's all a part of family living When you're waiting on the waiting list But maybe the time for tears is over and maybe a miracle's at hand And maybe if we pray Today might be the day Sarah gets a second chance Sarah gets a second chance Sometimes it seems unfair a small girl has such big problems But she won't give up the fight She wants a second chance at life She knows someday she will feel better Once all the surgeries are done It might take a miracle to happen God knows it just takes one And maybe the time for tears is over And 
Dan Maudlin, that brought tears to my eyes. I love your chorus. Uh, maybe if we pray, today might be the day. Yeah. Sarah gets a second chance. Yeah. We all know somebody who has at some point needed an organ to keep their life going, to improve their quality of life, just to live. Right. Uh, and we feel so helpless at times. You know, you brought up the name Sarah. There's a cowboy poet we found when we did AgriTalk, and his name was Joe Kreger. He's uh-huh. still living. And he wrote a poem that was the most gripping poem I have ever been able to uh, be a part of called uh-huh. Sarah's Babies. And uh-huh. it's very cowboy, very Western. But um, we did it on AgriTalk one time not to disappoint anybody here who wanted to hear it, because if you want to hear it, it's in his collection of Joe Krager. But it's so meaningful that I said, we cannot do this live. I cannot talk after this is over with. Yeah. And so as a result of that, he cut it ahead of time, and then we inserted it by backtiming it in the show so that it came out and people afterwards say, how did you manage to speak after that? And I said, well, it's because I just turned it up, turned it down to where that I was unable to really hear the words of it, but I knew what it was. And then when I came out to the end of it, I gave a close and out for the half hour. Uh, so yeah. you touched me again like that, Dan. Well, well thank you, Ken. And I'll, I'll give you a little inside baseball here. To be honest with you, uh, when I play that song live, I've learned to look just over the heads of the audience because mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of them with tears in their eyes. For me to get through it, it's I've just learned it's it's smart to look just a little bit over their heads because uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I get a little choked up too. So. Well, you're a professional, and you know how to be able to do what your job is, and then the audience can react to it when they hear it that first time. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dan Modlin. It's a pleasure. Do you have any... Um, place people can uh, go online to hear your music or anything yes. like that? Actually, uh, they can go online to uh, to stream Sarah. I'll put it in the intro to this. Dan Modlin, I'll not be as good as your father at this, but again, we don't have to close out exactly in 30, 60, or 90 <laughs> seconds. It has been a pleasure knowing you most of your adult life and yes. speaking with you today. Well, Ken, it, it's a real honor for me to be on your program, and uh, it's such a treat to get to talk with you again. I've always had great respect for your work, and thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Let's pause for a minute to talk with Taylor Parker, who is the president of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, is there a link between those people who have a type of diabetes and a potential for hearing loss? The answer is yes. 
If you are a type 1 or a type 2 diabetic, you're twice as likely to have a hearing loss. If you're a pre-diabetic, you're 30% higher than those with, you know, normal levels of glucose. Think about, you know, our body being all connected. You know, everything interacts, everything works together, and proper blood flow is is required, and, and it helps keep a cochlea. The cochlea is a tiny little snail-looking um, apparatus that is part of the hearing process. Inside of the cochlea, there's 15,000 tiny little hairs that need to be in good condition to get a proper signal to the brain from the ears for hearing loss. When you have high glucose levels, we lose the elasticity for our vessels and proper blood flow, they shrink and, and we can't get that good proper uh, blood flow up to the cochlea as, as well as, you know, all the other extremities in our body, when, you know, when we're feet, things like that. And hearing loss is the second leading health epidemic in the United States, only behind heart disease. Everyone talks about all these other conditions Heart disease is very similar in, in a standpoint of proper blood flow, all those things. So diabetes has that huge piece, whether you're type 1, type 2, or even pre-diabetic, has a huge role in good hearing or having a you know potential untreated hearing loss. Thank you, Taylor. You can schedule your free hearing screening at Concept by Iowa Hearing. Call them at 877-955-955. 4020 or online at iowahearing.com. Thanks for listening to Better Than Nothing. I hope you stayed awake for most of it and liked what you heard. If you'd like to tell me your thoughts or relate your memories, send it to kenroot at gmail.com. We'll try to put out one of these every week, and you can sign up with your podcast service to be reminded when the next one's available. As I now turn 73 years old, I've decided to have two kinds of days, good ones and great ones. See you next week for another episode of Better Than Nothing.